0: It's an honor to preach to you today. Your senior minister, Craig Kingston, is on vacation today, a well-deserved vacation. And uh, we hope that it's been good and restful and productive for him. He'll be back in the office tomorrow and back preaching with you again next Sunday. He'll be resuming his series on Colossians. been studying the book of Colossians for the past few weeks. I thought today that it would be fitting, since we had been studying the book of Colossians, to take a little bit different look at it today. Look at it from the perspective of the man behind the epistle. Who was this Paul who wrote these eloquent, uplifting words in the book of Colossians? So today we're going to take a few moments and compare Paul the Apostle with his predecessor, Saul of Tarsus. Many of the insights that I'll bring to you today come from many, many years ago in a lecture I heard from one of my favorite seminary professors, Dr. Myron Taylor. Myron's now in heaven with the Lord and with many of those who've Taught me and gone before me there and rejoicing in that victory that we've just sung about. Before we begin, let's have just a word of prayer. Lord, we come to you today, and Lord, it's been good to sing praises to your name. It's been good to remember the truths that these songs remind us of. Lord, we know that it's been a sweet aroma and sound in heaven today because it's lifted up your son, Jesus Christ. And now we come to look at your word and pray, Lord, that today your spirit will be operative among us to help us to understand, to help us to be encouraged, Lord, and that going from here today, we might take encouragement from the story of someone just like us, a real person, a real person who changed We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The very first verse of the book of Colossians says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. The very last verse of the book of Colossians says this, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. In the reign of Caesar Augustus in an unknown year, in an unknown city, a son was born to a couple. In the city of Tarsus on this unknown day, in the Roman province of Cilicia. This is all we really know of this child until around 30 something later part of 30s AD He steps into the limelight of history and is described in the book of Acts. But if we were to speculate, we might well imagine on the eighth day of his life, as his family and friends gathered around to hear those words, his name is Saul. Today, I want you to take a look with me at two individuals. I want you to look at Saul of Tarsus. Then I want you to look at Paul the Apostle. And then I want us to ponder together a question. And that question is this. How in the world did Saul become Paul? When we meet him, he's a young man of the sect of the Pharisees. New Testament scholars generally agree that he was a young man of great promise, a rising star in the religion of Judaism. Born a Roman citizen, he had a first-rate education, brought up at the feet of the esteemed teacher Gamaliel, one of the outstanding rabbis of the day, noted as a preserver of true Phariseeism. Trained in all questions of the law, he was a man, Saul, of vigilance and activity. He was probably never one to idle away his time, but rather was a man of intensity, passionately devoted to any cause which could gain his support. He was fully dedicated to his religion. He could boast that he was circumcised on the eighth day, that he was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, blameless before it. Acts chapter 22 and 26 tell us that he was a zealous, zealous enemy of the church. He himself said he blasphemed and persecuted and violently injured the church. At Stephen's death, the first martyr of the church, he stood there giving his consent to it, holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen. Later in Galatians he would say, I persecuted the church violently and tried to destroy it. I often punished in the synagogues and I strove to make them blaspheme. When they were put to death, I gave my vote against them. To Saul of Tarsus, Christianity was a cancer that needed to be cut out. And so he set out to stomp it out, to stamp it out in Jerusalem. He did such a good job of that that the church scattered from there. Not content with this, he obtained authority to go up the road to Damascus about 150 miles to look for Christians there. Never before or since has the church had such a determined enemy. And yet in all of this, Saul did what he thought was right. Acts chapter 26, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus. Acts 23, he says, I have lived before God in all good conscience up to this day. Saul thought he was right. He thought he was doing the right thing. There's a lot of that in culture today. This philosophy is, as long as it's right to you, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It's okay. As long as you feel like it's right, as long as I feel like it's right, it's okay after all. There's no God. Men, women are their own authority within themselves. Saul thought he was right. But Saul, even in his sincerity, and he was as sincere as a man could get, he was wrong, dead wrong. And it cost many injury and many their lives. Saul of Tarsus. But now let's look at another man. Paul, the Apostle. As we meet him, we find that his persecution of the church has ceased forever. His mad career of wreaking havoc on Christians has ended. To those close to him, it appears that he has abandoned the church of his father and mother, even though he was a member by birthright. To those close to him, it seems that he's turned away from his old teacher and given up his career of a rabbi. Now all this in Paul's mind counts as loss, nothing to him, and he lays it all, all his earthly achievements at Jesus' feet, not for just a little while, but for ever, in good and bad circumstances. He can now say, To live is Christ, and to die is gain. The faith that he once persecuted, he now proclaims. He now says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Those who once joined him now oppose him. They now persecute him, even to foreign cities. They demand that he renounce this lunacy and return to the teachings of Judaism. And yet he will not, even though three times they lash him with 39 lashes on his back, five different times, three times they beat him with rods and sticks. Once he's stoned, he's imprisoned, he's shipwrecked, he's in peril on the roads and with robbers and and all types of danger, yet he will not relent. How does he do it? Where does he get his strength? Listen to his words. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Naked, tribulation, peril, sword? No. And all these things were more than conquerors through Christ that loves us, Paul would say. Remember the love this man had for people like Timothy and Epaphroditus and others who strengthened him, who he ministered to the devotion they had to him. He was devoted to those he used to scorn. Up and down the world he went, all over the Mediterranean Sea. Nothing can stop him preaching the gospel. Put him in jail, he'll convert the jailer. Trap him in a walled city, he'll get lowered over the wall in a basket. Truly, he can say, at the end of his life, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. At the end of his life, tradition tells us that he was a small, old, battered little man waiting in prison to be beheaded during Nero's persecution of the church. Yet even in his last hours, he can pen these words, I have fought the good fight of faith, the Apostle Paul would be martyred, beheaded, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The question begs us today, how? How in the world did Saul of Tarsus become Paul the Apostle? In a world like ours, that seems impossible, to happen. It's almost too much to imagine that these two people we've talked about could be the same person. In this day and age, when people are so rigid in political persuasion, so rigid in their view of life and what's right and wrong, and there seems to be no compromise and no middle ground, people would say a person can't make that radical a change. Is it possible that it can take place, or is it true? as many would say cynically, that human nature doesn't change. Once a person's a bum, they're always a bum. Once a failure, they're always a failure. Once they're selfish, they'll always be selfish and arrogant. But cynicism fades in the way of the power of Jesus Christ. How did Saul become Paul? Seething With inward purpose, Saul sets out to Damascus to capture as many Christians as possible. But some miles outside the city, something happens. In a light from heaven, Saul is confronted by the one who speaks to him in his own Hebrew tongue, saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul begins to see that he... Was on the wrong road. How did Saul, this determined persecutor of the church, become Paul, the great apostle and champion of the church? Simply, he met Jesus Christ. Something happened to old Saul. After meeting Jesus on that road to Damascus, after obeying his instructions to go to Ananias, after being baptized, we see a different man. Can you imagine the shock, the shock that's felt by his former associates, Saul of Tarsus, former associates? Surely, they thought, Saul is sick. He's been in the sun too long. Perhaps he's had a little too much wine. He's gone crazy. But as the hours and the days and the weeks pass, they begin to realize that something indeed had happened to Saul. On that road to Damascus, something so dramatic that it has transformed their unstoppable leader, who was an unstoppable persecutor of the church, into an unstoppable opponent, an unstoppable champion of the church. The change in Saul of Tarsus cannot be lightly dismissed In this cynical, skeptical world that doubts the veracity and truthfulness of the gospel, two questions should be answered. One was, why was the tomb empty? Explain the empty tomb. That's a critical question, the core of our Christian faith. But also, we have to look at the life of someone named Saul of Tarsus and say, how in the world do you explain such a radical transformation? Saul of Tarsus, the greatest opponent of the church... To Paul the apostle, the greatest champion of the church, the answer is something real happened. Jesus rose from the dead and Saul met him on the road to Damascus. Jesus says, I have come to give you life, real life, abundant life. And Paul, the apostle Paul, became someone who experienced that abundant life. You can see it throughout his epistles. Throughout the New Testament, his words of freedom and grace and love and care for others. Think about the beautiful words. Thinking of all the things that that, that Paul calls us to in 1 Corinthians, that that beautiful love chapter. How in the world could this change happen? What did it change with Paul meeting Jesus Christ? I believe Paul's view of himself changed. Himself changed. Maybe I'm mistaken, but I don't envision old Saul of Tarsus as being a real humble guy, you know? On the other hand, I see a person who was meticulous about being blameless before the law, meticulous about it in himself, and consumed with being that, and being proud of it, and others seeing that. When we look at Paul, we see a different man. We see a humble man. A humble man who's who's learned to be content in whatever circumstances he finds himself, however humbling, however difficult they may be, a man who's overwhelmed by God's grace and can write about it so eloquently, overwhelmed by God's love, his expression of gratitude. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for the riches of his grace, he says. For even this person who called himself the worst of all sinners. Paul the Apostle, the worst of all sinners in his mind, has experienced the grace of God and responds with a heart of gratitude. And you know what? That can happen in my life. That can happen in your life today. Paul's view of himself changed. Paul's view of others changed too. Others no longer are people that simply are those to be zealously kept in line, forced to follow the dictums of Judaism. Rather, rather, they're now those who are to be loved into Christ Jesus, be they Jew, Greek, male, female, slave, or free. The Apostle Paul would consider others better than himself. And he would remind us of that in those wonderful words in Philippians chapter 2. Sure, the Apostle Paul could be tough on people at times and discipline people, yes. But he also loved them. And they knew he loved them. To see a beautiful glimpse of this in Acts chapter 19. As Paul is leaving the Ephesian church after being there about two years... And the elders and the members of the church follow him down to the seashore where he's going to board the ship to leave them. And the scripture says that they weep and they embrace him because they know they're not going to see him anymore. We could go on and on about the changes in Paul's life that come because he knew Jesus Christ, the change of his purpose, the change of his vision, Lots of things changed in his life, but we can be sure that these changes didn't come from just his strength. No, they came from his desire to respond, but the strength that came from the Holy Spirit that lived in him and that lives in us today. Perhaps today you, like me, are here struggling with something that I need to change in my life. Maybe some of us are sitting here today saying, you know, there's there's no way I can love that person. There's no way I can forgive that person. There's no way I can forgive myself. The good news of the gospel is that this, the same Lord Jesus Christ who changed Saul of Tarsus into Paul the Apostle is here today, present today, Loving you today in the same way and offering you today the power and the mercy and the grace to be changed into his likeness. Yes, those of us who know the Lord and are Christians, it's an ongoing process, isn't it? This transformation into the likeness of Christ Jesus. But it's a process that happens. And that goes through our life we mature and we come, become more like him as we allow him to change us and work on those things. And it's my prayer today that you'll be encouraged to know that God can change me and God can change you just like he did Saul into Paul. Perhaps you're here today and you've never named the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior Perhaps you're here today and you're you're skeptical that such a change could happen. You're skeptical that such an abundant life that I speak of, that the scripture speaks of, could happen. But Paul was a real person just like you, just like me, loved by God just like God loves you and me. And the same power that changed Saul into Paul is available today to change you into a child of God, to enter his gates with thanksgiving, to live a life of power and purpose and peace, and ultimately, as the song we sang today, to close that life in eternity when we all get to heaven.